Hello, and welcome to the ZK Techo USA podcast, the podcast where we discuss all things access control and access control related. I am your host and face of ZK Techo USA, Joe Freed, and I'm joined today by my very special guest, president and founder of MarkTech Inc., a manufacturer's representative firm, Ted Leventhal. Ted, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, glad to be here. So, Ted, you've had a very long career in the security industry. How did you start? It's 41 years. How I started was I was working in the computer field. Um, in those days, companies used to spend a lot of time training young people how to sell. So I was well trained as a professional salesperson and had decided that it was time for me to go into my own business. And we, um, there was a, a installation franchise company that was selling franchises to become an installer in the alarm industry for those that didn't know it called Rampart. And we had a friend, a close friend who had bought one and I was influenced to get into it that way. Very happenstance. So you were now an alarm installer. You'd go out to sites, you'd install people's alarm systems. Mm -hmm. What are some typical alarm stories or maybe even some unique stories that you would run into out in the field? Um, we, uh, um, we used to do everything from residential to up to large commercial and the larger fire systems and we became UL listed sometime through our years in business, which was 15, we, we were in business. Um, I had an interesting story. I mean, uh, we had a fire alarm go off in a large law office in, in uh, downtown Trenton across from the state house in New Jersey um, because the staff, that being the cleaning staff, had decided to defrost a little refrigerator that was up on the third floor and they set a fire in it and wondered why the fire alarm went off and they had the fire department. Rather than just say unplug the refrigerator to let it... Well, that would be logic. <laughs> <laughs> they set something on fire, put it in the refrigerator or yes. the freezer to try to defrost it. Yes. I run into some off. very interesting stories. Yes, yes. But one of the things that installers really need to be, and sometimes this might get overlooked by people in general, is that they have to be problem solvers. You have to find unique ways because no two jobs are the same. You have to find unique ways to address the circumstance. The, you have to ask, even today, when working with dealers, we try to find out, and you do the same thing to the end user, you try to find out what they are trying to accomplish. You can't just say, well, I want a access control system. Yeah, you may, and you probably do, but what is your real end game accomplishment? Because that's going to going to affect the end user design that you provide. It's very critical that that be part of the, uh, the formula in coming up with an answer. So what would, as much as you can say, a typical installation be that you dealt with? This is an alarm system you were installing. Generally, what would you do? Well, I mean, the alarm system could be a combination uh, even commercially at that time, we did combinations that were burglar, fire, and small access control um, at that time. Uh, so it could be doing the typical security, perimeter, motion detection, smoke detection, heat detection, and then some readers at that time on the outside of the building, which, which combined disarmed the system and uh, disarmed the burglar alarm part of it and allowed access to the building. And this is back how long ago? This was in the 80s. And even still in the 80s, everything is interconnected. It could still be centrally managed? 
Yeah, yeah, not to the sophisticated level we can do it today, but you, some of the higher-end alarm panels at the time, um, such as we use radionics, which was uh, a, a higher-end, more popular panel of, of that era, um, and you could do that with that, but not to the degree that you can do with the electronics that we have today. So how has the technology, let's say, changed from the 80s to present day? I mean, what is the biggest change that you see? Well, I mean, basically, when you started with an alarm system, it was essentially wire, power, and a relay. Mm -hmm. And in theory, it hasn't much changed, except what's connecting the relay's reaction is microprocessor-based, which means where we used to have to put a bank of relays and hardware, you just program it now. And it, it makes it a lot easier. And it also gives us the capability of doing things for customers you really couldn't think about doing before. Yeah. So you're an installer for how long before you, before you finally decide to say, enough of the people starting fires in their refrigerators, <laughs> I want to become an MR? Um, I, uh, <laughs> sold the, uh, I sold the company to a much larger alarm company that was also in New Jersey that I'd known a long time. And um, I had in my plan to become a manufacturer's rep because... I was a trained salesman. My business, I mean, not that it got very huge, but it wouldn't have grown at all if I didn't have sales skills. Mm -hmm. Because I, I became adept in, you know, soliciting business and promoting our company and then promoting in specific neighborhoods, etc. And uh, um, you need to do that. You have to be able to sell whatever you're doing in order for your business to grow. And for someone who might not know, Describe what an MR is. It stands for manufacturer's rep. What do they do? All right. Manufacturer's reps are essentially uh, the manufacturer's sales agents in the field. Uh, for companies that don't want to purchase uh, the time, they really don't want to hire their own their own personnel because it's very expensive. Sometimes not unusual for it to cost well over $150,000 a year to keep one sales rep on the road. When you take all the expenses into, into effect, automobile, hotel, etc., and um, it becomes a relatively easy and effective way to get professional sales staff to promote their product in a much greater, bigger market area and have people that, uh, that know their product, know the market, and can bring their product to, their, to the market and, and create a face for that manufacturer. And a manufacturer's rep also represents any number of lines. Yeah, yeah, you represent, um, well, you have to go by basically how much personnel you have and how much real estate you're, you're covering. But the answer is yes. Uh, I don't think there's any manufacturer's reps out there that only represent one line because then you're not a manufacturer's rep. You're actually just a commission straight salesman. Uh -huh. um, so they, and it's done because we can be effective. We can leverage our use of other lines like we've done with ZK uh, Teco, uh, our, our relationship with alarm controls, they've been very synergistic. We've helped each other. I've helped both lines with that with that long relationship with alarm controls. So when looking to take on a new line, what are some questions you ask yourself? What are some questions you ask the manufacturer? Well, um, very often we end up taking on lines that other reps recommend because they've had them for a while. We have friends, you know, you become friends in an industry and you get to know each other. And, and uh, they know that a manufacturer is looking for somebody in a particular area that may recommend us, which is very flattering. Um, and that's one way. Another way is we may search out sometimes when you know, we're out looking 
and uh, we'll be looking to add a line um, that, again, fits in the, the markets we call on. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go out and represent a, an ice cream machine manufacturer that's not a market we call on. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. So it has to be synergistic with what we're doing. I would imagine a lot of times a customer, an end user, might say to you, I want to put an alarm system and an access control system, and you might only represent an alarm system and think to yourself, hey, I should really represent an access control system as well. Well, that's true. That's an, that's absolutely a fact, and that has happened on occasion. Um, but I found you can't, you can't push those relationships. They've got to fit. We pride ourselves in that we don't, quotation marks, churn lines. The relationships we have with our manufacturer, one goes back 21 years, which is a long time. Um, probably the newest is one we just took out in the last six months. It's six months. It's a, it's a line, but we took it on because it, it fits our knowledge base and some of the market we call on in the area in the life safety. So we added that. So uh, we don't take on as many lines. We tend to take on less and keep them. Right. Is our, you know, we think we be, we do a much better job. The longer we have a line, the better we know everything about it and the better job we do for both the manufacturer and ourselves. And then here at ZK Teco, we're obviously manufacturers. Uh, I'm sorry, we're obviously an access control manufacturer. What did you look for? T- talk about the decision of taking on ZK Teco and why choosing the, us as a access control line rather than another line. Well, uh, one of the reasons is I mentioned earlier, two current uh ZK uh, uh, manufacturers reps had had called us and recommended we talk to the company. Now, that's important because that's based on their several-year experience of dealing with them, and that's very critical. The other thing is it fit in very well. It really dovetailed with other lines that we have, and we got to know the management and some of the staff and feel very comfortable with it, and that's important because I've said this many, many times. I'm real good at embarrassing myself. I do not need help. And I have had experience with manufacturers that have done some very ex- embarrassing things, and I no longer represent them. So let's talk about access control in general. So what is access control? Just very basic. Well, it's I mean, it starts with control of people move people's movement. Um, that that control can be for security reasons. It can be for uh, other than security reasons, it, 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 but most often it is when people have access control, it's because they want to limit who, when, and where they go mm-hmm. in their on their premise. Uh, it could be because there is a, a super sensitive area like a server room or a money room in a casino where, they, where there's a large amount of money being counted, or it could be that they're trying to control who gets in their building and they want to make it easy and convenient for their staff to get in and out and easy and convenient for the management owners to get out. Yeah. And one of our big differentiators here at ZK Techo is we're a biometric access control company as well as a traditional RFID and password access control company. Uh, let's talk about the, the rise in biometrics and why somebody might want to put a biometric reader on their door as opposed to just say a traditional card reader on their door. Well, it starts for two reasons. The, the security of a biometric is much higher because you know it is that person that has tried to get in at that time. And, and they are authorized because their fingerprint, their iris, their palm, their face, uh, their finger vein, whatever, whatever the, the media is, it, it has been read and can only be unique to that person. That's the first reason people usually do it. 
The second reason, and it may be the first, depending upon what the application is, is convenience to not have to carry another piece of media um, in order to get in. Or to even remember anything. You don't no longer right. have to remember a password. Or a combination, which I, I kind of have glossed over because I don't even think about it that much. But, you know, in the early days, the access control was nothing more than a mechanical lock that a company called Simplex made. And I think they still do. That Basically, when you put in or push the right buttons, it, it moved the tumblers mm-hmm. and you could, you could turn the knob. Um, so, uh, you know, that was access control. And uh, how is your problem solving skills that you let's say, honed as an installer, helped you as a manufacturer. I mean, I know before you were talking about our finger vein reader. I think you have a customer who you suggested using our finger vein reader as opposed to a fingerprint reader for all sorts of reasons. Yes, and the same logic and and, and philosophy applies. Try to discuss with the installing, prospective installing dealer, what the application is so I can, first of all, point out to them that whether which, which product they should use or why they shouldn't use a particular type of product. Um, an example is we had a, a dealer come to us as, you know, in my experience with ZK Teco that had a factory where there were, I don't, they were the people's hands and they were kind of rough and they were getting a lot of misreads and a lot of frustrated people with typical um, fingerprint readers. So we discussed finger vein. Um, the man bought a unit and tested it, put it on the owner's desk and he had just about every employee that walked, worked in that place, come through and and uh, and had them uh, uh, introduced into the unit and found that he had a hundred percent read. Yeah. And that now that particular dealer is a is a lives his life and swears his access control primarily on finger vein. And just talking about the difference between a fingerprint reader, why would the fingerprint reader not work, whereas the finger vein reader work? Can you talk about a little bit? why the technology worked in one case and not the other? Well, what did it do differently? First of all, there's a, there's, you know, for people that are not involved in the industry, there's a misunderstanding that a fingerprint reader is the picture of your fingerprint as law enforcement uses, which it is not. Even though law enforcement now does that with electronics instead of ink and a pad, it's still an actual um, visual look at your fingerprint. With, with biometric, they're essentially taking the curves, the grooves, the depths, the spacing, and that is uh, created and comes up with a number, an algorithm, that now identifies a specific person. Law enforcement can do absolutely nothing with what a biometric reader puts out. But in the case of these people's fingers not working on a fingerprint reader, but working with the finger vein reader, that was because the finger vein reader was actually shooting IR, infrared, That's right. into somebody's finger and mapping out the patterns of their finger vein. So it didn't matter how rough the skin was. Number number of things will affect why a fingerprint won't, won't work. Some of them can be age. Um, and here I am, a person who sells this product. My fingers don't read real well because I'm not a young person anymore. And I used to install and twist wire. My fingerprints are worn, worn down. Um, and, and that's not uncommon. Um, even... Uh, um, even even people who who, uh, who may not have used their hands as they get older, the skin gets thinner. There are all kinds of reasons why it won't read well. The finger vein, everybody's vein uh, uh, movement and how it's in their finger is unique to every person. And that reads through anything and how rough the skin is doesn't matter. And the age of the person. And the age matter. of the person, therefore, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, a, it's an answer. 
or maybe a facial recognition is a better answer, or a, or a palm uh, is, a, is a better answer. Whatever the case may be, what you have to design and recommend the equipment based on the application that the dealer is trying to put in, and sometimes you have to back people off so they don't go in the wrong direction. That's p part of our knowledge base. Yeah, and, you, and you touched on this earlier. There's so much misconception about biometrics as, oh, it's I don't want to give my fingerprint over. What if they use it for something else? Exactly. That's not the case at all. That's right. It's Absolutely. just taking uh, an algorithm of the fingerprint, turning it into ones and zeros, spitting it back out. There's no image that's stored anywhere. That, that's, that's exactly right. That's probably the biggest hurdle that I see when I'm on the phone with integrators or, or even sometimes end users is, oh, I don't want to put my fingerprint in there and I have to explain to them, no, that's not exactly how it works. Well, the other thing you can run into, some people don't like to touch things, so yeah. that's why facial works out very nicely. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, and palm, because they don't have to touch anything. Um, even iris, uh, they may be changing a little bit. You still have to get pretty close to that reader for that to read your to read your iris. And although it's very good security, it does have that disadvantage. Mm -hmm. You know, when people often... Uh have that objection of, oh, I don't want to touch it. We're talking about a one square inch piece of glass. I'll, I'll respond to them, well, what are you holding to talk to me right now? You know, yeah. Your phone receiver, which is used by a lot more people, your hands are much more dirty. You handle that every day rather than just a quarter well, of a second that you're touching. There's a, lot, there's a lot of perception issues that are problems for people when and uh, you know everybody's different in that way, so it may have may have something to do with perception, no matter what you tell them. So we have a, there are other answers in the biometric field to answer the, if they have that objection, you can't overcome that objection. We do have other answers in the biometric field to to take care of their need and get the job done yeah. for them. Absolutely. Well, Ted, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. How can people uh, contact you? They want to see all the lines that you represent and well, give you a call. Easiest way is go to our website, which is www.marktechinc.com. And if you go there, we have uh, hyperlinks to all the manufacturers that we represent, as well as contact information for us. And what territories uh, do you cover? We cover uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, going all the way down through to Virginia, including Maryland, Delaware, D.C., uh, for our, our geographic area. Oh, sounds great. All right, Ted, thanks again, and hopefully the listeners found uh, this to be informative, and take care. Have a good day. Thank you.